Welcome back to the On the Brink podcast. I am so excited for today's guest. She is someone that I have known for, oh gosh, I don't know, a few years now, maybe three or four, going on four Three or years, four, I think, I think going soon. on four. Crazy, crazy. Um, time is flying. But uh, this is someone who is just a wonderful, wonderful dear friend of mine, and she is involved in many different things. So she does uh, archaeology and she does art and she, um, I mean, she does other things than that as well. And I'm just so excited for her to come on today and share a little bit about her career path, how that has changed in the pandemic and how she's really um, delved into art a little bit more, especially as a um, source of income. So I want to chat a little bit about all of those things, and I'm really excited to have her on. So welcome to the podcast, Erica. Thank you for having me. Of course. And um, I was trying to think of when, I always try to think of when I first met my guests, and <laughs> I really don't remember like the first time we officially oh, met. Oh gosh. It must have been at some point, Eva introduced us when I'd come over to hang out at your home for the first time or something like that. I can't remember exactly the the first time, though. Yeah, mm. I know. It's, it's hard to pinpoint like the exact moment, but we did meet through my current roommate, Ava, um, who is like, I guess, our mutual friend. Uh, <sighs> who introduced Lucky us. us. <laughs> so now we're all friends and it's wonderful. And we have gotten to hang out. Erica's in Massachusetts, so we've gotten to hang out a little bit in the pandemic, like outside, going on walks. It's just been really nice having Erica as a friend. Um, You know, she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. And my goodness, (laughs) (laughs) no, you are. And it's been so great. No, it's been great getting to know you better over the last couple of years, especially. So I feel the same way. Aw. Well, I'm just really excited to have you on, like I said. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more for my guests? Okay. I I am an archaeological field technician. That's where I'm trained as. So I work in something called cultural resource management archaeology. So before any kinds of public works construction, they have a crew of cultural professionals come in and do a survey of wherever they're doing construction. This can be for electrical towers, telephone towers, It can be just about anywhere that is publicly owned land, and that is dictated by federal law. And I'm also someone that loves to sew, loves to quilt, loves making things, especially with fabric. And those two things are really my bread and butter. It's things that make me very happy. Yeah, you're multi-talented, that's for sure. So so I want to know how you first got into archaeology, because that is just a super unique path. I don't think I know a single other person in my life who does what you do. Um, So you think. (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) I, it was something I loved when I was a kid. When I was seven years old, I really had it out for ancient Egypt. That was just, you know, how kids can be (laughs) with like a very fixated interest. That was me. And it really stuck. And when I got to college and my undergraduate, it was a time where I could really pursue it as a serious career path. And that was really 
what I wanted it to be. I wanted to approach it as practically and pragmatically as I could if I was going to use it as my career. And it was there where I really fell in love with archaeology all over again. It was all the reasons seeing it function in the world and learning about my local histories on the land that I live on. And it became a lot more real and meaningful in that way. But it started off just, I was a kid. (laughs) Wow, that's crazy. I mean, (laughs) I definitely did not have aspirations like that. I don't even remember what I wanted to be as a kid, but it wasn't that. It wasn't (laughs) anything that cool. (laughs) To be fair, it was archaeologist and pop star, so (laughs) give or take. (laughs) Still time for the second one. It's my time. (laughs) (laughs) One day. But what is your degree? Like, what was your undergraduate degree called? I technically had a dual degree in anthropology where where we went to college or or I did my undergraduate, Emily did her master's uh, at UMass. They didn't have a specific major for archaeology, but the umbrella subject of anthropology is where I had my degree and I focused on archaeology. And then I also did classical languages for some reason (laughs) that I don't use, (laughs) but I love them. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I didn't realize that you had a dual degree. That's crazy. Yeah, a little crazy. (laughs) The things you learn when you're podcasting with your friends. (laughs) So, okay, so that's awesome. Um, And when you left college, what did you do from there with your degree in, in anthropology? The reason I chose UMass to do my undergraduate was because they had a CRM, a cultural resource management archaeology firm based out of the university. So I had a job even while I was in college. I was doing archaeological surveys through them. And that's the reason I chose UMass. They really have a way of showing students the logistics of what a career in archaeology practically looks like. And so I I was 20 years old going out to surveys and couldn't even go to the bar afterwards to get a drink. It was just, they'd be like, you want a ginger ale? But I ended up settling around here in Massachusetts because I just stayed very busy with survey work. And UMass is the kind of program that a lot of people that are trained here end up working for a lot of different firms in the New England area. And that's exactly what I did. I ended up working for a lot of different companies and getting a lot of really valuable experience. Nice. Now I have to ask, because I am just curious, like, are there a lot of women in that field or is it mostly men? What's the, what's the trend there? There are a lot of powerhouse women. <laughs> it is cool. That's so great. <laughs> and it's very intersectional. I say women in a broader sense as to not male people as well. There, I've met a lot of queer, genderqueer people in this field. And that's really refreshing. I know it probably has this stereotype of being this very male dominated field, like Indiana Jones. And let me get that for you, ma'am. And it's not exactly that. I, the kinds of respect I get as someone that appears very feminine in this field, I don't get that kind of disrespect, like anybody underestimating my strength or anyone underestimating my capabilities, because we are doing physical labor. And there's a lot of women in this field in management positions and it's very equitable in that sense. Okay. I'm so glad to hear that because yeah, there are some like stereotypes, at least that I have when I think of like someone that's out in the field digging and that's exactly what you're doing, right? You're actually like out there digging. You're carrying all your gear with you. You're got your machete, your brush clearing. It's, (laughs) you got your machete, (laughs) you got your shovel. It's, That's crazy. So like, what's a typical day look like for you? 
It definitely depends on the project, but my most recent memories per se are we were doing a survey for Eversource. So we were, we hike through, you know, those like power line corridors with all the big towers. You hike into, you have your map, you hike in, that might take a half hour, it might take an hour, who knows? You never know what you're going to find <laughs> when you get there. Maybe it's flooded. You got your screen, your shovel, your pack, all of your gear, all your water, and you hike in. You usually meet around eight in the morning, depend on, depends on what they needs to be done. And you have your whole day out there. You usually work a 10 hour day. It's wow. big. <laughs> and you're digging the whole time. Mm-hmm. It depends on what phase of excavation we're doing. Some, So I'm thinking, I'm kind of hypothetically talking about a phase one, which is very preliminary. We do a systematic survey. You have a systematic number of test pits, we call them, which are 50 centimeter squares that kind of evaluate what's there. And depending on what you find, that can lead to further phases of excavation, more detailed, more focused. But okay. A lot of the work that we end up doing is phase one because people are seeing what's there before they build. And when you get a phase three, you really hit the jackpot. You're, you, you know you got something cool there. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so you usually work on a project through all the different phases? Typically. Sometimes it depends. But sometimes I'll just get pulled in, I'll do it phase three, or I'll see a project through all its phases. And that's really actually very valuable to me when I'm able to be on the phase one and end up seeing it all the way through, just seeing what we find. That's really exciting. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. So what, I know you've worked with um, different companies, different projects, um, doing like a lot of different things. And of course I follow you on Instagram. I follow you on social media and I've seen you post, and this was like pre-COVID. We're we're talking pre-COVID here. Um, And I've seen you like literally sitting in the middle of a hole um <laughs> literally you are actually digging like for anyone who's wondering like erica literally digs these giant holes it's crazy um she's not just saying it she actually does so um i've seen her post some cool pictures of like finding different artifacts or i don't know if that's the right word to use but like finding different things when you're digging so what are some examples of of things that you found or come across in your um excavations for the record, I don't post pictures of the artifacts I find because uh, that's that can be hairy. <laughs> Sometimes okay, so you, you never you told me you didn't post a picture. Okay, <laughs> to confirm. NDA, NDA. There's a picture of you sitting in a hole, and then you told me about an artifact you found. And that's some of my favorite stuff to talk about when I get to tell my friends that live in the areas that I'm digging, because a lot of the work that I end up doing is local to me, I get to share the history of the land we live on. And I feel like I know the picture that you're thinking of. I'm in a pretty deep hole in my profile picture on Facebook. And that was actually maybe 15 minutes up the road from here. And sometimes I think people get very artifact focused when they're thinking about archaeology and they think about museums and they think about, oh, I'm seeing this very cool object. But I know for me, the most valuable part of this kind of work is thinking about everything holistically and how everything relates to each other. And so we are finding objects, but also there is so much interpretation that an archaeologist has to do about landform and about the soils that we're finding. And kind of when we're digging a hole, we end up seeing the soil layers in profile. So on this vertical plane that you're cutting into the earth. And that can tell you a lot about the cultural interaction with the land and also the geologic formation processes or the kinds of natural events that have made the landform what it is today. 
And those together just really are very cool to me. So I think there's one, one, one hole in particular I'm thinking about where there were certain layers of more brown rich soil and then this kind of white powdery soil that was also intermittent with lots of crunchy rocks. And these weren't just rocks. I'm saying rocks to kind of communicate what they felt like, but they're what we call flakes, which is when you're thinking of a projectile point or kind of a layperson term, an arrowhead, we, we call them projectile points professionally from the kind of debitage or the garbage from flaking all the excess rock to make that point. That is something that is very interesting to an archaeologist because you can see that humans were, people were just sitting and hanging out and making tools and very complicated and skill involved process. And so we were having these layers of soil in this hole where, and we were right on the bank of the Connecticut river, right on the shoreline. And there were like silty soils over that very like soft soils, these crunchy white powdery layers, then another rich brown soil, then another layer of rocks and white powder. And what that shows us is that the water levels were fluctuating from the river so much that it was depositing silt, those soils, over what was the ground surface. So where we were finding those flakes, that was the ground surface that people were standing and working on. Then the river floods, then people return, then people leave and the water changes. Probably seasonally, these things are happening. So that in itself, this land, this earth, the soil is telling us a story of human life over, over gosh, many, like hundreds of years, perhaps. So that's something that has nothing to do with an object that I can hold in my hand. That is the landscape. That is, you look around and you're there. You're there where someone was living. And that is storytelling to me. Yeah, so much history Mm -hmm. behind what you're doing. And like, you can stand there and probably like envision what that might've looked like. And like, that's so cool. Like, wow. Oh my gosh. And I'm kind of a history nerd myself. Like I (laughs) like... I liked history growing up. That was a subject that I I liked when other kids, you know, may not have liked history so much. (laughs) I always found it interesting. And like my family has gone to Colonial Williamsburg several times, um, you know, and then living in this area, it's it's so historical. Mm -hmm. You know, Massachusetts is like full of a lot of history that I don't even know enough about, but I learned about it through you. So it is my pleasure. That's really nice. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's really, really interesting to hear um, hear that from you. And I know that you enjoy learning more, even on your on your, like in your spare time. I can't help it; I'm hooked. <laughs> it helps me do my job better when I know about, especially considering that we're in New England, that we're in this land that is has witnessed first first contact. Like, let it be known, indigenous people to this land have met settlers from many different parts of the world way before pilgrims came to Massachusetts. They knew English before pilgrims came. It's There are sort of different ways to deconstruct the very basic historical narratives we've been told in school and to kind of add to the depth and humanity and empathy for that history to be able to do the best work that I can do. Because I'm interpreting mm-hmm. a history that's oftentimes not my own. It's, I'm not Native. I am someone that wants to do the most respectful work that I can to do right by these living communities. And so that is what I try to do. Yeah. And there's always a lot more to learn. Absolutely. Especially when we're not the ones, like you said, we're not the indigenous people. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's good. It's good to be informed. And this is so much conversation. We always, we usually have native monitors from a federally recognized or state recognized tribe on site with us, depending on the project. And so I've certainly had many conversations where oftentimes I am 
well, most times I am listening and I make a very, that is very much a part of my work is listening and hearing someone else share their history and also making friends. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is great. I love that. Mm -hmm. So speaking of what you are currently doing and um, how archaeology is looking these days, um, because I know you're not currently doing the same kind of work that you have been doing, Mm -mm. right? And that was a big thing too, that I know you and I have certainly had conversations about work and kind of identity. And I know for me, a large part of how I considered myself in my own head was, uh, I love doing archaeology. This is a big part of me. And to kind of divorce myself from that temporarily because of COVID, it was a big emotional deal for me. And also very healthy because I'll, I'll say that this work is very physical and my longevity in it is something that I've thought about often. I or I'm 25. I've been doing this for maybe four, four kind of five years on and off. And I already have severe carpal tunnel when it's activated. And I don't think I would have left this work willingly until I was forced to. I had COVID in March and it was... I didn't realize I had COVID because I didn't qualify for testing at the time. It was very early. And I ended up going back to work two weeks after being sick and ended up doing some damage to myself physically because I was weak. And there were things that the company I was working for was instigating just to make things more COVID safe. We usually work in pairs where someone's digging, someone's screening, and that kind of keeps you from hurting yourself. And not to say I haven't dug alone before, but this was something that it was, there was also a quota of holes we needed to meet. We were all working really hard. And I was also, I didn't know how weak I would be after having COVID. And I usually don't think that way. I think I'm kind of invincible. I'm tough. And I really hurt my back and I've never quit a job before. I had to quit. I wasn't well, I couldn't sleep. And that was big. That was a big deal to choose my health over the thing that I love doing that I felt almost indebted to do thing I felt like was my career path that I had chosen. And so I took some time off from working and was applying to jobs and ended up taking sewing as a bit more of a coping mechanism to spend my time. And also this was around the time where my friends needed masks and I was so happy to have the resources and experiment with different patterns and get to share something that was helpful with my friends. So it ended up working out to be the best thing. And now I am here very grounded and enjoying the work that I'm doing currently. And that's how it was. Yeah. I want to say like, I'm glad that you're doing a lot better and you're feeling better. Um, (laughs) I know COVID is no joke, right? You can, and I was, I was lucky. It was not a very severe case at all, but I don't think many people are talking about how it can really knock you out long-term. I was months out Mm -hmm. of being contagious by any stretch of the imagination. And I was sleepy. I was in pain. I, it's just, it was a physical exhaustion that I hadn't known before, but yeah, also very lucky. (laughs) Right. And you say that was not a severe case, but to me, like that's still pretty bad. I mean, that's still pretty, pretty severe. Like in my eyes, at least like, I mean, you were a healthy 25 year old going into it. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure like that helped, but you know, it, it really knocks you out. Like COVID is, is not a joke. So, um, so 
So yeah, you, you firsthand know and, mm-hmm. and take it seriously, which has also been great because like to have friends that really take it seriously is, um, is important. Absolutely. Our, our households are households that trust each other. We've been able to see each other at a distance outside and trust that about each other. And I, that's made a whole difference about feeling isolated during this time. Exactly. For love sure. you guys. Yes. <laughs> no, I know. We love you too. So, um, so yeah, okay, talking about the masks now. Mm-hmm. Now, Erica made my first ever face mask. <laughs> she mailed it to me. I am not kidding. I have it. I'm looking at it right now. Um, I don't wear it really often anymore because it was um, your early design. Prototype. I'm up the ante. <laughs> but I have other ones. I have other ones that Erica has um, more recently made for me. And uh, and it was just so wonderful. Like she mailed me this mask to Illinois when I was stuck mm. and, you know, we were all, everyone was kind of like scrambling when they first told us like, okay, wear a face mask. Yeah. And we're like, what? Like, what does that mean? Where am I supposed to get one? You know, do I know someone that's making them? <laughs> like, I don't know. There became a real need for household sewers again. That's a conversation I've had with a lot of people that I know that sew and are dealing with fabrics. It's, it's become an important thing. What a, what a, fl- what a throwback, if you will. It's just, I've, yeah. I'm glad I have the skill. I think trades and skills are, will never go out of style. That's for sure. That is one thing I've definitely learned and I don't have those skills. So I'm very envious. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. I, mean, I, could all that. Learn. <laughs> I could learn one thing at a time, one thing at a time, but, um, but yeah, you ended up making all these face masks and you're still, I mean, I think you're still making them, I right? Am. I was kind of taking yeah, a... and they're um, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah, they're just like so fun. And I'm still working on working on different prototypes. I started doing triple cotton and I've done better with the nose wires. I kind of, to the listeners, twist ties make a very good nose wire and a mask. Oh. Save your bread twist ties. <laughs> They're uh, very good. <laughs> who knew? Mm-hmm. We get resourceful. <laughs> yeah. And you have decided to donate some of the proceeds from these masks, right? Mm-hmm. I've, there's a lot of, I guess one of the things that has been very heartening about living in a community like ours where we're, I know where I grew up is not really like this that I knew of where people kind of make very conscious efforts to express care on a small scale. And there are a lot of mutual aid organizations around here, like PD housing that look out for people that are in need and post their Venmos, share information, have different fundraising campaigns. And that has been a big part of the ways that I can't physically show up to take care of people, but I can certainly keep in touch with different ways of taking care of my community. And there are a lot of wonderful organizations like that here. And so donating some of the proceeds of these masks. I definitely <laughs> donated a lot more at the beginning because I, I think there was a kind of ethical feeling where I was okay, even though I just quit my job. Like I had some money saved. I didn't feel like I needed the income. And that's certainly shifted after being unemployed for a while. But I've always made sure to donate as much as I could to mutual aid in this area. And having these masks as income to get to show to that is was wonderful yeah that's so great so great and like generous of you least I could do (laughs) and then aside from the masks 
you are also sewing other things, clothing. Yeah. And you do other things. I mean, I want to ask you about all the artistic endeavors that you are involved in because it's it's a lot. I I love making. It's and it's been such a wonderful thing to have the energy and time to dedicate more to making. I at the end of a day of digging holes, I was exhausted. I did not have time for my creative self and I had a lot of time and bursts of it, a lot of energy and excitement around making things. And I, I love weaving. I love knitting. I love sewing clothes, especially. And the job that I now have, that's I'm a seamstress for Meals on Wheels. We sew freezer bags and heater bags for Meals on Wheels. What a strange, I found the job in the paper and I took it and that was great. I just, I feel like my skills are building in this way that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to if I had continued doing field work. And for that, I'm grateful. I, I know that I'm the kind of person that looks for the glass half full outlook on things. And that was an easy one to find. I'm so glad that I've had the energy and time to dedicate to learning more about the skill that I love and I'm grateful to have. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm so glad that you ended up finding that job and you yeah. know, you're able to pursue <laughs> your art in a little bit more um, than you had been. And yeah, that's just so awesome. But do you see yourself going back to archaeology at some point? Are you kind of like waiting for COVID to be a little bit more under control? Or are you, um, you know, just hoping to do art more than archaeology or trying to find the balance? Like, what are you thinking for the future? I I think it's this time has definitely been formative for the ways I'm thinking about my future in this work. And I would love to go back to archaeology in a form and... I've been applying to master's programs and hearing back, which is really exciting. And like I approached my undergraduate, I'm trying to think as pragmatically as I can. And there are certain aspects of the work that I was a part of doing field work that I witnessed that really brought some big questions into my head that I would like to figure out through higher education and find my place in a different role within archaeology that would feel meaningful to me. I think there are so many issues of ethicality within cultural resource management and the ways that the frameworks of legislation operate on the ground level that I was able to see being a field technician that sometimes were not exactly what I would like to see in the field or just, again, just brought my critical thinking into the picture because at the end of the day with this work, what I love about it so much is the holistic nature of it. I'm outside, I'm physical, I'm using my brain, I am asking these questions and nothing is perfect, especially because this work, this contract, cultural work exists within an environment of capitalism. There is something that needs to be built. And that's not something I am against. I think that land has many iterations and many stories to tell. And I'm not someone that thinks that everything needs to be preserved. I think that it is a gift to be able to be someone to tell a story about land and to uncover that story before it changes forever again. And on the other hand, there are some people that will tread the line of ethicality to make a land, a landform easily built on. It's, it doesn't happen as often as you think. I, I'm not someone that is really looking for the bad in the situation. I think more often than not, there are good people doing archaeology and doing the right thing. But I'd been working in this work for a while and I noticed some things that made me unhappy. And 
I, it brought me interested into law and it brought me interested into the different ways that objects can go back to their rightful owners, that the right thing can be done on the ground and what could change to make this work even better and more valuable to all parties involved. That's vague, but. Yeah, I mean, you can go into, if you want to go into some of the issues that you've encountered or not. It has brought, I'll say this much, that tribal coordination and archaeology existing as this middleman between tribal nations, tribal autonomous nations, and energy companies, big sector energy that and tends to have its own interests has shown me a lot of the drama. It's it's juicy drama. <laughs> it's just there's there's not always the most clear lines of communication between these two parties. And it becomes this ethical dilemma as an archaeological firm. Not I'm I'm the, the guy on the ground. I'm a grunt. <laughs> I don't really I have a lot to, I have nothing to lose, which has made it a very wonderful thing for me to advocate and ask questions. I, I love to ask questions, but it, there are certain people that have the interests of their clients more so than maybe what is exactly ethically right. And that is something I've had the misfortune of witnessing a little bit okay. and it's all very human, but something's got to give. Mm-hmm. So you would like to be part of the process to maybe fix some of these problems, um, like from a higher, my higher up level, maybe <laughs> it would be. And I know that is a hard thing to do. And I, and I still have to learn the different ways to achieve that, to create more functional legislation that allows for that conversation to be possible. But it's something I'm interested in learning about for sure. Amazing. Yeah. So you think um, a master's degree, which would be, is that specifically like an archaeology master's? I don't know what you call that. Yeah, there's a few different programs I've applied to, some of them being titled public archaeology, which kind of has a lot more to do with community-based methods and communicating with relevant populations, whether they just be people living in the area or kids, or it gives you the kind of tools to share history and work with a community to tell their story. And there's a public humanities program that I applied for that sort of has a more general idea of how to make cultural professionals ready for their relevant fields and kind of be able to communicate with each other. And those are all programs I'm really interested in to get my master's and be qualified for the jobs I see that I would like to apply for. Nice. Well, you have a very Mm -hmm. clear path or goal in mind and kind of <laughs> and that's awesome I mean that's so great like even if it is ambitious we'll like why not right like what do you have to lose exactly and, like you're in the perfect point in your life where I mean you're focusing on your art right now but you are on a little bit of a pause from archaeology like we're still in the midst of COVID right it's not like magically better yet so I know and it was a choice for me to not go back to field work once I felt well mm-hmm. So much of this work that I do involves crossing state borders and staying in hotels and being on the road. And for a time, that was something I was really able to do pre-COVID and was getting tired of it even before COVID. (laughs) But also some people have different comfort levels with the virus and this work. And I know a lot of people that have been traveling for work and going all over and that is their choice. And I'm sure they take it upon themselves to be as safe as possible. But I personally was just not comfortable with that at this point in my life. Yeah, that's understandable. I totally get it. Um, so what do you think that your line of work is going to look like post-COVID? Do you think it will change at all? Or do you think you'll go back and it'll be pretty much as as it was? 
I don't know. I think it probably will stay more so the same. To be frank, I haven't been in the field for the meat of this pandemic. I was in, at it in the beginning and it was kind of bizarre. We, I was someone that was taking it. There was definitely gradients of how people were, how seriously people were taking it. I was not sharing, like they told us, don't share pencils, wipe down the equipment. We had to keep our own sets of screens and shovels in our personal vehicles. There was a lot of different protocols that they had integrated that it's like the same thing with all of the things we've implemented in our own lives. Like when will those stop being as relevant? I don't know. I don't know when these precautions will feel mute, but I think the field itself and the feeling in the field when I was working at the beginning of the pandemic, it was still the kinds of same work tasks that we had to get done and the same missions and the same goals. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't slowing down, which for better or for worse was (laughs) what hurt me a little bit, but. Well, and it's, it's a very hands-on field. That's not like a work from home position. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take a hole right here, right now. (laughs) Hold me back. (laughs) Go outside and dig a hole. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's not it's not really like the kind of job that's going to probably change a whole lot. I just asked that question a lot to my guests because a lot of the jobs, you know, that exist right now are going to look different and Absolutely. And I think it's a it's a valid question, but for archaeology maybe not so much. Maybe it's, you know, it's going to go back. Also, you're working outside. You're, you know, individually doing your your work. Yeah, um, it was very at the beginning of the pandemic and it was springtime. It was I was grateful to have work and I was grateful to have outdoor work that we were really socially distanced. Like most shovel test pits are like 7.5 meters apart from each other. So you have your space. Uh (laughs) And that was all very well and good. And I'm so glad that my friends are busy with work, that my friends in archaeology that are still being kept busy. And I think that there's a lot of construction I can like even driving around here, like I see a lot of public works construction happening and Mm -hmm. that is on purpose. I think there are certain state organizations that are trying to keep people busy, keep people working in public works and I know that's kept cultural busy as well. So it's all very good in the big scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. There won't be like a, a huge, um, I don't know what you would call it, like backlog or something of, of jobs. Yeah. It it just kept going. So that's good. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, I mean, just such a very interesting, unique career path. And, and I hope that for you, for, for your goals, you do end up going on for this graduate program. I know you're still waiting to hear back from some of these schools. So fingers (laughs) crossed, everyone listening, send Erica really good vibes. She needs them. She needs to uh, get into these <laughs> programs and, and get some funding would be for, nice. for these master's programs because, of course, <laughs> that's a huge thing, too. Um, but I have a, just a couple final questions um, yeah. about, like, the future and your goals. And you're the same age as me. You're 25. So we're, like, exactly halfway through our 20s. And... when you put it that way (laughs) it's a weird thought but we are we're halfway through so what Mm -hmm. I would say you know what are your goals like long term short term for the rest of your 20s Mm -hmm. well I, I I think what we were talking about earlier kind of is has sparked me on this path of further 
understanding myself, like having this very intentional break from the work that I was doing, that I was putting a lot of myself and my energy and my body and my time into was very eye-opening to the kind of adult that I want to be. I think there's certainly a trend within my family, especially in my immediate family, to really focus on work. And I love the work ethic I was raised with. I am grateful to have been raised in the place and by the people that I was raised with. And I also don't have to work that hard. It's, I think, and this is a whole other conversation about not that my family is very recent immigrants, but within the past two generations, a lot of things have changed. And my immediate family has definitely broken the mold in a lot of ways in raising me. And I, it brought me into the workforce and into higher education with a real zest. <laughs> and really, I was so excited to pursue archaeology professionally for the first time. I was willing to do anything. And <laughs> I don't know if that's the best, healthiest, most sustainable outlook on how I can remain in my field. So I'm excited to better understand myself and my limits and the kind of work and what I'm willing to give to my professional life and how to have a balanced existence and being able to focus on more creative outlets and to have this balance in my life has been a real gift and example for the ways that I want to continue living and growing. I wouldn't have, again, I, I wouldn't have chosen that break from my work to quit archaeology was huge for me mm-hmm. and painful in a lot of ways in my heart. And I'm also grateful for it. And I'm grateful that I had options and I had money saved and it all worked out in a way that I was worried, but not too worried. And I'm excited to have that kind of balanced existence moving forward in my life. Yeah, I love that. I love that because it's so it is important. It's so important. Like you can't yeah. you can't focus on on just your job forever. And I think a lot of people I think a lot of people came to that realization because of COVID, which I mean, yeah. it kind of sucks. It's not ideal that like a pandemic hit and that made us I realize know. a lot of things, but it's good if it does because And that is privilege. Absolutely. That is a privilege that I've had in this existence where I was able to get unemployment. I was able to have money that I had been saving for a while to be able to support myself and to have different things to pull on and different job opportunities. It's not something I say lightly because I know that this is not something that everyone can afford to have in their minds right now. That's a lot of survival going on mm-hmm. and that's hard. That's really hard to see. But I think on a larger scale, a lot of people are kind of refocused on the different priorities in their lives or maybe kind of woken up out of their nine to five existence in a way that it's shown them different things that they would like to have. And that should be a human right. It's been kind of a tumultuous time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, know. Yeah, we talk about it like, oh, it's just like this happened and that happened. It's like, no, it was like really hard. This was messed up. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's really hard, but you're doing so great. I'm so happy for you Thank and like you. where you've gotten to, like, you know, on your path from archaeology and then into art more full time and, and hopefully back a little bit into archaeology again, but still doing art, like, if, if yeah. that's what you want. And they're so interrelated to me. It's, it's this whole 
it's all about telling a story in a way and finding your place within that narrative. And I'm doing that when I'm digging a hole. I'm doing that when I'm interpreting the soils and the materiality that we're excavating. And I'm doing that when I'm putting together a quilt or when I'm making a garment. I'm able to manipulate and be the subjective force in the work that I'm doing. And it's shown me a lot about myself that I like. Yeah, that's so incredible. Like, I I love that. And like putting art and archaeology (laughs) together, like you might not... I mean, I might not think that they go together. I'm maybe like digging holes and and sewing a shirt. Like that's kind of different. But but yeah, you find a way to to tie them together and and it works and it's so unique and that's what makes you you and that's what I love. So Thank yeah, you. I mean, this has been so great chatting with you on the podcast. We could probably talk forever about art. Oh my god, bring it. <laughs> We're just literally touching the surface here. Um, But thank you again so much for being a guest. Um, This was really great. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. I was so honored when you asked me. I love what the work that you're doing here. And also someone that is pursuing things that they didn't have the chance to pursue during a hard time and finding the light. So you are a wonderful and inspiring friend. Thanks, Erica. You're so sweet. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in and see you all next week. Oh, 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 o